you. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James K. How are you? I'm very well, very well. I've got a cold. It's not COVID though, so it's okay. How are you? Uh, yeah, no, I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, I have managed to dodge almost every illness during this year of lockdown. Hmm. I I I've been generally healthy, but like I think every every couple of months I'll just get a cold. Which, to be fair, for me, I used to get them every month. So every two months is banging. Hmm. Were you a sickly child? Yeah, I was. I had like. I remember when I was younger, it's really weird, and they never got to the bottom of it, but every night going to bed, I used to feel incredibly sick. Like, really weird at night time, I used to get incredibly sick. I think it was because I was tired. And it still mm. happens now, to be fair, that if I get overtired, I feel really unwell. <laughs> Which right. is why, like, if I'm over at a party or something and I decide to leave, I'll just go home. Yeah. But, yeah, I I don't think I was massively sick. I never had anything seriously wrong. I was just unwell occasionally. Yeah, Wow. I was never yeah. a sickly child. I was pretty healthy. I never had any issues. Moreover, my mum was a school nurse when I was growing up, so I could never have even called oh. a sickie. So if ever I was... Paracetamol on a paper towel. Sorry? Just get a paracetamol on a paper towel. That <laughs> cures everything. Do you know what? Right. I don't know if I've ever said this to her, but as the listeners now are aware, my mum listens to every episode, so this might be my like, indirect way of having a go at her. But because like, she was a school nurse... Um, if ever, if ever any, like me and my sisters were like remotely ill, it was go to school. And if you're that bad, you'll come home. Um, so you just go to school. And then I heard about the treatment she gave to the kids at her school. If they even came in with just a bit of a headache, she just let them go in the back room, shut the lights off and let them have a kip for 20 minutes. Oh, that's amazing. I know. <laughs> I never got because that Because that is the cure for a headache. You need a dark room and just a little bit of a lie down. Yeah. But if we said, oh, I've got headaches, so go to school, <laughs> didn't get that treatment. You got, I suppose she was leaving it down to the judgment of your school nurse. Our school nurse was crap. Like literally anything. If 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 you were vomiting, have a paracetamol. That won't do anything. That's not supposed to. And if like you, um, I dislocated my elbow at school wow. and she gave me a cup of water. Brilliant. I was like, cheers. <laughs> so my elbow's fucking out of place, but at least I'm hydrated. Mine wasn't. It's like, I don't. Mine wasn't brilliant. Um, I, I think I was in year 10 or 11. Either way, I knew I was doing my GCSEs and I was doing food tech as a class. And a friend of mine, he tried to make a fruit smoothie. Now, it's not difficult to make a fruit smoothie, but what he'd done with it was, I don't know, he managed, he managed to make a fruit smoothie smell like vomit. And it was horrendous. Uh. And I remember after, uh, after our lunch um, break, we were sat in form having had just had registration and he gave me yeah. this smoothie to try and i thought oh you know what for points might not have points i'll try, i'll swig it so i took a swig of this vomit smelling fruit smoothie mm. and i was spilling off it down my blazer and it, because it oh. smelt like vomit and it looked like it too i'm assuming there was pomegranate in it or something or um jackfruit i don't know but uh i, I remember yeah. so, i thought i saw Wait, jackfruit in a smoothie that that's I don't know. That's the only thing I can imagine it smelled like vomit for. But um, I saw an mm, opportunity... I use jackfruit as savoury. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what he'd done with it. But I saw an opportunity <laughs> and I said I told my form tutor that I'd been sick. So she sent me to the nurse. And then I told her that I'd been sick. And because I smelt like it, she just believed me. And then we called my mum and I got sent home. <laughs> That's winning. That's just yes. proper winning. Winning, right? Um, but yeah, anyway, shall we crack on with the episode? Let's do it. Let's do it. This is weird because we're recording two days after recording 
the last one, which is strange, because usually we go about a week, or some, or if it was before times, it was a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the monthly ones were weirder, because we'd finish an episode, and then 30 seconds later, start the next one, and have the same conversation, how are you? And it's like, I'm absolutely fine, I've not moved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, and we may have uh, had a had some lunch or something. Mm, yeah, that's right, we used to cut KFC, which you weren't going to be having anymore. No, no. Well, no, no, I won't. Anyway, so, in this episode, we are going to tell the story of a prophesied virgin girl in medieval France who dons armour and inspires a nation to fight their oppressive overlords. Sounds like the plot to an epic Japanese anime, but it is not. It's true and arguably just as mad as any anime out there. This is the story of Joan of Arc. And also, quick disclaimer, there are French words here and now, um, so be warned for bad pronunciation. As if you listen to our well, last I took episode... I Russian last week, so... Yeah, well, we had Russian last week, and at the end of last week's episode, I did pronounce uh, Joan of Arc in, as it should be pronounced in French, and that went horrendously wrong. It, it made me feel quite unwell. Yeah, yeah, you might, yeah, yeah. Anyway, have we got the school nurse after you've heard my French pronunciation? <laughs> surprisingly i was relatively good at french in school i i, I mean i did mm. i did the the box standard three years seven eight and nine and then when it came to gcc i didn't take it yeah anyway let's start where we always do okay so jeanne d'arc as the french would call her but joan of arc to us lazy english speakers and how i will be referring to her for the rest of this episode uh, was born in 1412 not sure when exactly as to the date, because that's not known, but we are definitely sure it's the year 1412. Now, she was born into a relatively lowly family. And I say relatively since the town of her birth, Domremy, was a rather poor area when she was born. Her father, Jacques, a farmer, had managed to bag himself 50 acres of land to farm along with the biggest house in town. Her mother, Isabel, although not a professional in any sense, was a devout Catholic. There is some evidence to suggest that she took a pilgrimage to Rome when she was younger, which is mad when you consider that even travelling a couple of towns over during this era would easily be a day's travel and can end up with a meeting with a group of bandits who would kill you. So travelling to Rome is quite impressive by any standard. I find that bizarre, if I can just go off script for a second, how... That used to be a thing where just travelling the next town over would be an entire day. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose because if you couldn't... Well, if they were on farms, surely they could, like, they had horses. But I guess the population was as such that everyone's towns were very well spread out. Yeah, and, and also... It's not like going to the town over now where it's probably like a 15-minute walk down the road. Well, yeah, or I can I can literally travel up to you for the day in Birmingham. Yeah, and that would that's what... I, two hour and a half drive whereas yeah. walking it would be what at least a day upwards of yeah, yeah a long long time but then as well you'd have to contend with as I said bandits so th- there's quite a lot of illegal criminalities hanging around the woods on the way who might rob you so yeah fair enough to go if, mm. you, if she went to Rome which it thought she did that's quite impressive now Joan's childhood was unlike her mother a relatively unimpressive one Uh, She didn't go to school, so she was not taught to read or write. Instead, she did what most peasant girls did at the time, which was chores. She would help clean, she'd learn to sew, maybe help keep birds away in the fields on occasion, 
but her main influence on her younger years was her mother and her religion. She was a devout Catholic, and um, being a devout Catholic, her mother Isabel instilled a deep love of the Catholic Church into Joan. She knew all the noteworthy saints and was taught about mystic women who worshipped openly in the streets, declaring their faith to the heavens. Uh, now, in these times, women, um, these women might sound like mad, like they're just out in the open screaming to the heavens that they love God and whatnot. But at this point in 15th century France, public devotion by women did come with some levels of respect. Uh, this whole like prophesied ladies, not witches exactly, but like uh, in sort of that Christian world. So like God can speak to them or an angel can speak to them and they can then prophesize stuff and talk to God and all that sort of stuff mm. some of these women were relatively good at it and they got praise i suppose if they were around now they would be like um you know like those televangelists or or even um, mm -hmm. those spiritual mediums that are on the telly and they're like oh is there anyone in this audience with someone who loves them called like beginning with J, and then someone will put their hand yeah. up they're kind of like that yeah now europe during oh my lord i've just lost all of my pages so, where was I? All of nah, them. I've gotten back now. So, Europe during this time was a bit of a mess. Lots of things were happening, and one of those things was the Papal Schism. Have you heard of the Papal Schism at all? I've never heard of this. Yeah, neither had I. I'd heard of the word schism. I knew it was something to do in history, but I've Papal Schism. I'm not going to go into it, but basically, there were two popes, although I've heard somewhere there were three popes. But you know how we have one pope just sat in Rome? Uh, at this yeah. point, well, I think one of those popes had been kidnapped and then another pope got installed. So now there's two popes and I think there might have also been one in Byzantium, which was Constantinople and Istanbul now. Um, so yeah, it, it's mad, right? So there's two popes. There's one in Rome and there's another one in France and there is now a lot of Catholics who can't decide which one of them is an iPhone connected to God, right? That's basically it. <laughs> uh, and this schism allowed women to voice their opinions on the matter and some women had divine visions so that's where these women started coming up now being like oh it's this pope and i'm having this vision and some local mm. people just like be like country bumpkins and be like oh yeah 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 take it take it and then that become like a local celebrity now these stories became popular folklore including one story of a woman named marie robin who in 1399 had a vision of a great number of weapons and of a virgin bearing arms who would deliver the kingdom which is quite the responsibility but luckily she was reassured in this vision that it would not be her destiny but that of another virgin who would come later so you know that's lucky her i was about to say i don't know why the f no never mind Karen, i was about to say a really horrible sentence and it's just it's it doesn't represent me as a person at all and i don't know why i was about to say it but you thought it, James. <laughs> I was literally about to say the sentence, everybody loves a virgin. And I don't know why. <laughs> There's no need for me to say that. And I, I don't know if everybody, I don't, I'm going to stop digging a hole. Don't <laughs> think that's representative of me. I don't know what I mean by that. I'll tell you who it is representative of in this story. God. And I will briefly mention it later on. All right. <laughs> God loves a virgin. God Maybe I'm God, that's why God I said it. God loves a virgin. There's the link. Yeah, there's definitely links here. So yeah, Marie Robin had a vision that uh, a virgin would help restore the kingdom or deliver the kingdom and then was told, no, not, not you. And she was like, oh, thank God, I can, can go have sex and whatnot. And then fully just dodged a halberd. 
Uh, anyway, these stories helped to reinforce Joan's Catholicism. Her mother never claimed to be a mystic or visionary like these other women, and neither did Joan. She just sort of carried on working on her dad's farm. She made some friends and became a seamstress, and she got quite good at it. But that all changed when she hit 13, and more specifically, hit puberty. Joan had a vision. Well, she had several visions, from saints, no less, because nobody would care if you just had a vision about the boy who works in the next farm over. Um, so, who did she have a vision about? Well, the first one we're going to talk about is Saint Catherine. Any idea who she is? I've heard the name, but I can't tell you why or who she is, no. Well, luckily, I'm about to do that. Saint Catherine, Fantastic. she is a woman from Alexandria on Egypt who in the 4th century had a vision of the Virgin Mary and Jesus, which made her convert to Christianity. Now, she became a martyr when the then Roman emperor had her debate with several of the best pagan philosophers, and they all lost, uh, and supposedly converted to Christianity on the spot, having spoke with her. Um, and then, surprise, surprise, they were all executed for this. A lot of executions in those days, wasn't there? Particularly over religion. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There's just. Well, the thing is, it's weird. I, I don't understand it personally. I don't think it's specifically at uh, Christians because, as far as I'm aware, like a lot of Christians just lived in Roman times as well. But I just think they saw him as a mm. bit of like, a bit like conspiracy theory almost. Like, oh, he's an idiot. He's an idiot. We, we've got loads of gods. What are you talking about? It's just one god. What are you on about? And then if some Christians mm. just got up maybe a bit out of their big too big 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 bleh, bit too big for the boots, then they got persecuted for it. I don't know. Here's the thing. I if we still had um, polytheistic religions, I would be more inclined to get involved. Hundred percent. 100% absolutely agree which because is because they're just cooler. They are cooler, which is why like I mean I've meant And also the gods are like I'm in the philosophy episode we touched on this that god like if there's a singular god they're omnipotent and they're the like vision of perfection. Mm. I I don't I don't want to buy into that. I have no interest in in following someone who believes themselves to be or is perfection because that's I, I don't know. There's something weird about that. I would much rather follow gods that aren't perfect and make mistakes. Exactly that. I cannot relate to uh, an all-perfect, all-being God, because I, I'm not, no. and I never will be, which is why, and I've mentioned it on the pod before, Like I'm I'm big into Norse mythology. I, I like mm. that having done my DNA and whatnot, I've got like Scandinavian heritage and whatnot. I really like the Norse uh, mythology like gods and whatnot because th none of them are perfect. They're all infallible. They all make mm. mistakes. They get jealous. They get angry. Yeah. They love each other and then cheat on each other, and they, they just... They're just like us, and I think that's why they're relatable. And I, I just think, yeah, I do think it's a bit of a shame that that's not a thing anymore. Because if it was, I would totally be on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, another saint showed her face to Joan of Arc, Saint Margaret of Antioch. Now, not to be confused with Saint Margaret of Scotland, who is the patron saint of underage drinking, Saint Margaret of Antioch <laughs> was a pagan girl turned Christian in the 4th century. And when a Roman governor asked her for her hand in marriage, but on one condition she renounced her Christianity, she refused and then was then tortured by her would-be lover. But what makes her a saint was not that. What made her a saint was that she was eaten alive by a dragon and then managed to escape alive with her cross in hand since the cross had agitated the dragon. Yeah, yeah. 
I love a story with a dragon. We love a story of a dragon. Now, not many people can say that they've done that, of course. Now, I imagine it looked like the scene from Disney's Hercules when he was eaten by the Hydra and then slices his way out, which is all very heroic. That's how I imagine it went. Mm. But with a cross rather than a sword. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That'd be cool. That's cool imagery. It's cool, right? Now, but I'm saving the best of the visitors for last. Joan was visited by none other than St. Michael himself. Now, do you know who St. Michael is? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not very good with my saints. Oh, James, St. Michael, he's an archangel. You don't want to mess with him. He is one of God's top boys in heaven. Whenever he needs someone to vanquish evil like Satan, he calls up St. Michael. So he's basically God's own John Wick, right? How cool is that? I could beat him in a fight. Yeah, he's often depicted uh, as an angel with his wings and he's got a sword in hand and he's vanquishing a dragon, which is then personified uh, uh, as Satan. Uh, There's a film, cool. really, really, really shit film about angels coming to like the earth or fallen angels or whatever and, they need to, and they're trying to kill this baby that's going to like stop the Antichrist and Michael has come down to, to defend the baby. Holy shit, I know what you're on about. Oh my god! And it's all set in like um like a diner in like the middle of nowhere. Yes. What is that yeah. film? I don't know. Really, really shite film, but a decent watch. Oh, I need to. I need to know what it is, James. If if whilst I'm recording, you can find out what that film is. Oh, oh it's I'll called Legion. Now. It's called Legion. Legion. That that rings a bell. That rings a bell. Yep. That's I mean, fantastic. I'm on IMDb right now. Yep. It's yeah, with Legion. Paul Bettany. Yeah, yep, Paul Bettany. That's, I love that film. <laughs> yeah, it's just film. proper switch off your brain and kind of... Yeah, it's absolute crap, but I'd recommend it. It's just kind of funny mm. as well. So, uh, yeah, St. Michael, God's own John Wick, appeared to Joan one day while she was in her garden and he had a special message from the Lord Almighty himself. Joan was to go on a mission. Also, can I just quick... Sorry, can I quickly point out that God doesn't talk to women? In, in the Virgin story of uh, Virgin Mary and Jesus... He sends Gabriel to chat with um, Mary, and he's like, by the way, you're now pregnant. In this instance, he gets St. Michael to talk to Joan, but I swear mm. to God, God speaks... I swear to God. I swear now that God <laughs> speaks to Moses as a burning bush. So he's quite comfortable talking to men, but not women. Mm, it's almost like there's inherent sexism in the in religion. <laughs> Who would have thought? Not that would get shy around women. Yeah, he's just not very good at talking to women. Uh, he <laughs> has to get his like... friends. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He impregnates, he impregnates them without even being there. That's it. Yeah, I can't even impregnate her. Oh, that. Oh, maybe God's gay. That's why he couldn't impregnate Mary. That would men. anger a lot of people. I'd like that's that. Gonna, a lot. That is that's going to anger a lot of people, and I love it. <laughs> but then you have um, the Garden of Eden, where maybe he's just really, really pissed off because Eve was the one who <laughs> ruined it. Oh, so he holds a grudge. Yeah, he's like he's just generalising. Well, if this one woman did made a mistake, then all women are going to make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh man, this again to harken back to the the polytheistic religions, man. In Norse mythology, Loki's awesome, man. Loki has sex with men, women. He has sex with giants. On one occasion, he has sex with a horse, and then himself births mm. an eight-legged horse and gives it to Odin as a gift. How cool is that? I mean, it's also pretty fucked up. But yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Uh, so anyway, yeah, sorry, little aside. Um, 
The Lord Almighty has sent Michael to tell Joan that he's got a special mission for her, and that mission was to save France by expelling its enemies and to install the rightful king. Oh, and uh, she had to stay a virgin because, as I alluded to earlier, God loves virgins. Um, Mm, Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Now, why not choose a military general for this task? Why are you picking a 13-year-old girl? Mm, No one knows, (laughs) really, because God works in mysterious ways, that's why. He certainly does. Mm. So, uh, who were these enemies the angel had spoken of? Who was to be the rightful king? Well, we need to do a short history lesson here. And it's a lesson that I'm sure that we will cover in our other podcast, A Little Bit of History, one day. Uh, But right now, and here, uh, we must learn a little bit about the Hundred Years' War, which has got to go down as the worst name for a war since A, it lasted 116 years, not 100, and B, it wasn't one war, but lots of wars over time. Oh, and if you are interested, I've put down the winner for the most accurate war name as the Six Day War in 1967, which lasted six days. Why not? Why not call it that? Yeah, congratulations. Now, anyway, the 100 Years War. It began in 1337. Its origins go back even further, though, almost 300 years to the year 1066 with William the Conqueror. I really, I sorry, if you noticed, I just said 1066 and had a little pause. It's because I sang the tune. And James, do you know the tune I thought? Oh, 800 double O, 1066. (laughs) Exactly that. I remember in um, one of our scripts in London Dungeons, I know references a lot, it's about the Great Fire of London, which is 1666. And in the middle of, uh, I'm sure a friend of ours, Ben, did this as well and ended up on TripAdvisor. But I also did it um, in the middle of a fire show being like, oh, the Great Fire of London in 1066. And then I just carried on. And as I was getting further through the script, I was like, did I say 1066? That's yeah. like so wrong. And people, are, But I'm sure what our friend Ben said exactly the same. And on trip... No, he was, his was like the Great Plague or something. Mm. He was like, I love learning about the Great Plague of 1066. Mm. <laughs> Didn't lots happen. Of dates. Lots of dates and lots of scripts. So yeah, it was bound to happen. So anyway... Uh, We're going back to 1066 quickly with William the Conqueror. Now, famously, he was a French nobleman who, after becoming king of England, retained his lands in France too. And this became a trend with English kings to follow. They were inheriting the English crown whilst adding their French lands to the already existing ones of the previous king and then marrying other uh, very wealthy land-owning French women and adding their territory uh, to their own. So... That's how it was going for like kings. And it got to the point where English kings now held almost half of the land in France, which if you're the French king, you're going to be really pissed off at. So over time, the French crown began confiscating lands held by the English and a retaliation was inevitable, starting off in 1337 with King Edward III. Now, several battles and a few kings later, we're in 1413 and Joan of Arc is a year old and Henry V has been crowned King of England. Henry was keen to continue in the age-old tradition of war with France, and for the entirety of Joan's childhood, her country was ravaged by Henry's armies, famously winning the Battle of Agincourt. And thus, we come back to Joan and her cheeky little meeting with Archangel Michael, telling her that she is off to fend the English and crown the rightful heir to the throne. But again, who is this rightful heir? That would be Charles of Valois, who is the son of the last king, Charles VI. 
Now, there was only one small problem with this. All French kings were crowned in, and our apologies for this, Ras, or as it's pronounced to us, Reims, R-E-I-M-S. Uh, and Ras was firmly mm. in English-occupied France. So just a standard task on the list of things to do there is mainly get him to Ras. It's going to be hard. It's not hard. It's not easy. So, James, where would you start? You're a 13-year-old girl who cannot read or write. You've got no mm. status in this world. Uh, where would you begin? To uh, Where would I begin? Um, yeah, why not? Where, where would you start? Well, if it was modern times, uh, Reddit. <laughs> nice, nice. I feel like anything goes on Reddit. Uh, if it was in those times, um, oh Christ! I would, I would try and muster an army of simpletons because they generally believe anything. Mm-hmm. And then once you've got enough backing and support from from the idiots, you can then march upon the non-idiots and say, "Look, you may not believe me, but I will take you by force." Do you know what? That's not a bad. That's not a bad idea, and it is similar to what mm. Joan will do. But to start with. Joan had no clue, not not a single bit. She just sort of sat on her hands for a couple of years while the visions were pestering her to do something. And in May of 1428, one of the saints said, and I'm not going to quote this because I don't know if they did say it or not, but they said, hey, Bish, get up and do something. Go see Charles in the region of Chinon. Now, 16-year-old Joan had a specific plan. She has to now go to Chinon. However, Chinon is over 300 miles away. And James, if you and I were travelling by car, this would be a five-hour journey and would also be considered a long way. Yeah. But for Joan, this was an 11-day walk. Her dad was a bit confused, as you can imagine. He didn't want her going and tried to arrange a marriage for her, but she was like, nah, and just made plans to go instead. That was when she came across her first obstacle. Her hometown of Domremy was pro-Charles. The land surrounding it was held by the Burgundians of Burgundy, and they were pro-English. So, Joan wouldn't get very far on her own. She headed instead to the nearest pro-Charles stronghold of Valcoulier, which is a three-hour walk away. Here, she ran into obstacle number two. She met up with a magistrate, Robert de Baudricourt, and demanded he take her to see the heir to the throne, Charles of Valois. And James, can you guess the response that Joan got from him? Fuck off. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He told her, fuck off. He threw her out. And he told her to go back home and told her to make sure her dad gives her a good old beating for good measure. Oh, yeah, because she's going to go home and go, dad, beat me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've just spoke to uh, Robert de Baudricourt and he's told me you have to beat me for a bit because I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to go see the king. Uh, so yeah, mm. so she headed back home, presumably arguing with the saint in her head the whole way. Now, for the next few months, she muttered away about her visions and began to get a following of people believing her to be the virgin prophesied to take up arms and save the nation. So pretty much what you suggested, James, she started getting country bumpkins following her. And she took quite a few of them back to Valcoulier in January of 1429 and demanded once again that Robert de Baudricourt take her to see the king-in-waiting. Robert surprisingly relented, gave her six armed men and waved her off. Although she had an armed entourage, travelling through enemy territory is going to be dangerous. 
let alone being a 16-year-old girl, so Joan cut off her hair, uh, she cut it short, and then wore men's clothing to disguise herself. And she arrived in Shinon in February of 1429 and demanded an audience with the king. Now, as the story goes, Charles of Valois had heard of Joan's imminent arrival and decided to test her. He disguised himself as one of his entourage and allowed Joan to enter the room. Joan, who had no way of knowing what Charles looked like, walked straight up to him and declared that she had been sent to him by God to help lift the siege of Orléans by the English and make him king. Impressed, Charles had a private meeting with her. What was said of it, no one knows, but when he came out of the meeting, he was willing to give her a chance and called for the church to verify her mission. I want to quickly like talk about this little ruse that uh, Charles of Valois played. He kind of, as I said, was like, oh, I'll disguise myself as my entourage, let her walk in the room, and he had someone else sat as king, like just sat on the, pretending to be king, basically, and she just like walked in, completely ignored the bloke, and then supposedly walked up to Charles. Um, the th- Right, the thing with Joan of Arc, as I have to, I think, maybe state now, there are... As I go on, there's going to be a lot of, really? How? Is this true? Now, the story itself is accurate, but I think there's a lot of myth surrounding the story itself. So, with this one in particular, it says that she just walked straight up to Charles, having not known what he looked like, and grabbed his legs and went, I have been sent by God. Um, no one really thinks I've that- heard that story, that he put someone in his place. Yeah. And... Yeah. And she was like, you're not the king, and then turned to Charles and was like, you are the king. Yeah. And and, and so for a lot of people, like, that's amazing. That's God-given. That's, that proves that God was directing her to see specifically him. But a lot of, like, you know, normal people looking at it from a sceptical point of view are saying, well, how did she really do that? Is it a fluke? Or is it realistic that she actually does know what he looks like and has an idea and then just walked up to him and just got it right? you know mm. um so i want to make that clear right now uh, i i like the story i don't want to shit on it at all however there's going to be a lot of myth surrounding the story that i maybe want to try and clear up as we go all right yeah so charles as i say has a private meeting with her and that is true but no one knows actually what was said even joan when she's later on captured does not say what she said to him and he never mentions it uh but when they come out he promises to give her a chance he then calls uh, the church to verify her mission. So over the next few weeks, she was met with a barrage of questions by church officials. One question in particular was how she could prove her abilities. She's promised that she would lift the siege of Orléans, but she's a 16-year-old girl in a male-dominated world with no military experience, never held a sword or anything like that. How is she going to prove that she could do this? Uh, and it turns out she's relatively witty, is Joan. She simply replied, uh, send me to Orléans and I'll show you. And they did. Uh, they gave her some hand-me-down armour, they gave her a horse and an army of volunteers, moreover. And they reached a besieged Orléans on April the 29th, 1429. So, Orléans is a strategic city in France, sort of in the middle, and the English, now headed by Henry VI, because Henry V died, Henry VI at this point is quite young. He's like a kid. But he has his advisers ruling the country on his behalf. So, the English is now headed by Henry V and his advisers, and they knew that if they took Orléans, 
That would mean taking the whole of France. So, why did the French put all their eggs in one basket and send a 16-year-old girl to save them? Is the main question here. <laughs> now, mainly it's because they didn't really have much of a choice. They were at breaking point, so they really didn't have much else to lose. Um, Charles could not officially be crowned king, so he was king just in a sort of just in name, if anything. Um, and the rest of France was mainly held by the English. The Burgundians were on the other side, on the west side of France, uh, east side of France. Sorry, just sort of rampaging around, pretty strong, dominant there. And so the king and the rest of the French were like, I don't really know what to do. So they just sat on their thumbs and did nothing really. So then when Joan came around and said, I've got an idea, they went, oh, go with it. Just go with it. Try it. Why not? Um, now, the defence of the city was being organised by a man known as the Bastard of Orléans, which is a really cool name. Um, if someone called me a bastard, I don't think cool would be my reaction. Um, yeah. Now... I will point out as well, bastard back then is not bastard as we call it now. Uh, he, yeah, it's he, he married, was, like born without wedlock or whatever. Exactly that. He actually was a bastard of the Lord of Orléans. However, the Lord of Orléans and his legitimate son were not there. They'd been captured or killed, and so the bastard of Orléans was the only one. And he was actually relatively quite a respected figure then. So just because he was a bastard, that didn't mean that people looked down at him. It's not like it's not like Game of Thrones. You don't look at the bastard and go, oh, don't talk to him, he's scum. This guy was quite a rich, powerful bloke and people did like mm. him. They liked talking to him and whatnot. So, yeah. Now, he knew the city was at breaking point and was actually contemplating a surrender to the English. But Joan would argue against this, except for the fact that she was shut out of every meeting since the bastard didn't want some peasant girl in borrowed armour telling her what to do. We spoke on last episode about... Men who put down women are just insecure about themselves. And I think this is one mm -hmm. of them. You don't want... He's been like holding out this fort of Orléans, this city, for a little while. He knows he's at breaking point and he's contemplating surrender. And then in comes a 16-year-old girl. And if she does it, that looks bad on him as far as he's concerned. Mm. So it's just insecurity, isn't it, there? But, I mean, it would look very bad on him. It would. Uh, but one morning, Joan had another vision, telling her to attack the English. She grabbed her sword, she rallied her men, and attacked the forts surrounding Orléans. Uh, one after another fell to the French, and by May 7th, they'd broken the siege. All that was left was to push forward and make a last assault to save Orléans. And during this assault... Joan took an arrow six inches into her shoulder. She was taken from the battlefield, but was miraculously uh, helped along the way by God, apparently. She came back to the battlefield to boost the morale of her men, appearing to be unharmed. And Orléans was saved. Now, in terms of that, yes, she was shot with the arrow. Yes, she'd probably be in a lot of pain. Some uh, experts have claimed that it's more likely that the adrenaline was the thing that was keeping her going, really, more than anything. Oh, for sure. And then sure. afterwards, it's then the pain. But for the most part, it was really helpful at that time for her to show her face. Um, also, yeah. you may be wondering what exactly a 16-year-old peasant girl with no experience did on the battlefield. Mm, yeah, true. Um, now, it's thought not a lot at this point in particular, 
she's not military trained. She doesn't really know what she's doing. So it's it's more maybe sort of waving a sword in one hand and she actually carries around with her a banner and on that banner is a depiction of Jesus and the Virgin Mary. And so in a weird way, the motivation changes for the French army here. It's no longer just sort of fighting uh, for your land and your, your country because that over the last 100 years at this point, it's just been ravaged by everyone. So an identity of France doesn't really exist. But once you start throwing around a religious Christian Catholic, sorry, uh, Catholic banner, it now becomes a, a holy war that you're fighting for. Mm-hmm. You're on God's side. And that gives those men a sort of a boost, I think. Somewhere inside, it gives them a boost to keep going and do something big better. It, you're, you're now yeah. on God's team fighting against the devil which would be the English and the Burgundians at that point, maybe. So, yeah, I find that really interesting. Also, I'd like to point out that Orléans, uh, when it was being besieged by the English, it seems the English had, well, due to lack of money and resources, only sent a relatively small force down to Orléans to siege it, and they expected it to Mm. just take a couple of weeks. It actually took several months, like at least six months to do this, and they weren't really getting anywhere. And they were struggling by this point, and they didn't think that they would take it. And then out of nowhere came a rejuvenated, fresh, volunteer French army uh, and swept them away. Uh, And it's sort of thought, more than it being a miraculous, God-winning battle, it was more uh, just a newer army with fresh legs defeating an army that had been there for like five months and was really bored. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, not to take a not to take away the victory and all. Like you know, I won't take that away from her. She's done really well in that sense. But anyway, with all, I dare say as well. Like this is my very limited history knowledge. But if Henry V was still about and hadn't died of dysentery by this point, I I dare say the English would have won. I imagine so. I imagine so. He was because he was he was fucking good. He was very good. Yeah. And Henry VI wasn't as good. Died very young. Henry V. He died, I think, in his 20s. Yeah, he was a uh, dysentery, I think it was. It was, yeah. How bad. What a way to go yeah, for Yeah, but he was a bloody good, bloody good uh, war leader. Yeah, obviously, most famously, the Battle of Agincourt, uh, which is in the film yeah. King. The King? Yeah. Uh, which yeah. Um, I, we, we've mentioned it before, and you, your, your brother has said he's not overly a fan of it because of the inaccuracies, of course. Hmm. Um, because it's based off the Shakespearean play. It is, I think, yeah, because they have the character of Falstaff in it. History. Yeah. Which Shakespeare's cool, but just never get your history from Shakespeare because he made a lot of it up. Oh, no, yeah, not at all. Because otherwise, Richard III is a humpback, um, a murderous hunch of a man. And turns out he made Shakespeare was dictated, his plays were dictated by the current monarchy. Uh, so, yeah. Well, not the current monarchy, but the monarchy of the time. Yeah. So you have to take everything with a pinch of salt. Mm. So, with Orleon safe. Charles of Valois could now make his way to Arras for his coronation. Joan, along with a royal and military entourage now, made their way from central France north northeast into enemy territory, retaking English-held towns. Joan on her white horse, now known as the Maid of Orléans, inspiring people, her legend growing as they travelled. They made it to Arras by July of 1429 and Joan fulfilled her mission in seeing Charles of Valois crowned King Charles VII of France. She was still only 17 at this point, which is quite a CV, right? 
Um, she's done a lot. She's done a lot more than I accomplished by the time I was 17. Yeah, I think I'd worked at Farm Foods by that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, job done then. Joan went back home, back to being a seamstress, and lived to the ripe old age of 88. Except for the fact that she didn't do any of that. She stayed in Ras and urged the king and his advisers that they should move east and retake Paris from the English. The French advisers were a bit meh on the idea, including the newly appointed king. He had a bit of a dilemma. So he's about 10 years older than uh, Joan at this point. Uh, And as far as he's concerned, she's just some random peasant girl and she's now trying to call the shots. And one of Charles's favourites, who I can only assume was the 15th century Stormzy, warned him that the Maid of Orléans was now getting way too big for her boots. And there's a lot to say about that this was the case. So, um, one, they did actually attempt to siege Paris, and that failed, leading to people asking why, when Orléans was, was so brilliantly worked out, maybe God, that, maybe God had abandoned uh joan at this point so they actually she i think uh, charles was like at one point ah oh, go on then we'll do it they went to paris now paris at this point it's a big city it's very well manned it's it's walled it, it's it's tough it's a tough cookie to crack right mm. uh and after one day they gave up uh i believe um joan took another arrow to her knee uh not to her knee to her thigh in this siege and was taken away. She couldn't return back to the battlefield. And then Charles, after a little while, was like, yeah, it's not worth it. Let's go back. So that absolutely failed. And because of that, and they've said, well, we had Joan on our side. And obviously Joan is, 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 is uh, been supported by God. Now, has God abandoned her? So initially, the thoughts are the same that Joan's not really a good egg to keep around anymore. And also, she was starting to get tough questions sent to her. Like, remember the papal schism? We've got two popes hanging around. Mm -hmm. She was getting questions like, which pope should we follow? And of course, Joan hasn't got a clue because she's not that worldly, right? Um, Mm. Joan is just a country girl from from a small town, a poor town, who has no sort of idea what's going on in the world, right? She doesn't know the ins and outs of politics. She's just a teenager with an opinion and a hell of a lot of luck. I will point out, you know, mm. it's kind of like, um, like, right, like Matt Hancock is the health minister in the UK. He's got a lot of responsibility, but not a lot to back up with. Do you know what I mean? It's right. like that. Yeah, yeah. I She's got you. no sort of experience doing any of this. And now people are asking all these big questions and she's no fucking clue what's going on. So that same thing goes when like when she's talking to like the king or like other high up lords. She has no idea how to play politics. She doesn't know. She cannot do it. Um, so anyway, yeah. So what would Charles do, right? So surely Charles should just get rid of her, right? Well, that's not that easy to do either. It seems that Joan's fame among the the common folk more so, but along some other minor lords, um, Joan's fame was too big by this point. She's quite well respected by the men that she led, more importantly. She'd been injured in battle fighting for king and country, so that's something else to be ticked off. And to just get rid of her it really wouldn't look good for the new king. So by 1430, Charles allowed a now 18-year-old Joan of Arc to take her men and kind of just rampage around, liberating towns for the English and that. Um, Now, 
that's a win-win for Charles, right? It gets her away from him mm-hmm. and he's caught for starters. But mainly, if she succeeds, then great. More towns liberated, more towns now held under French control. But if she's to fall in battle, eh, what a shame that would be, right? And as luck would have it, that happened. On May the 23rd in 1430, Joan was knocked from her horse defending the town of Compiègne from the Burgundian forces and was captured. Now, it's important to note as well that although Burgundy is a French province with French nobles still in charge, they were allied with the English for various reasons. And one of those was simply trade. Trade for one, and the fact that the new king of France had actually killed the father of the current lord of Burgundy, so he wasn't overly keen on it. (laughs) You can imagine so, right? Mm. Uh, And again, I will sort of go back to this point. As far as Joan is concerned, Charles is the rightful king. Sure, he's the eldest son of the last king. That would make sense. But it's not that straightforward. He actually, he, Charles was Charles of Valois was actually disinherited by his parents for that murder that he had committed, right? And they actually offered the crown to the English king's kid. Um, they, and and, and this will be a thing. I mean, we, we sort of. Uh, I remember in our second part of Henry the Eighth, we said about Henry the Eighth's ancestor being Henry the Fifth. Henry the Fifth was actually yeah. being offered the French crown by Charles's parents because of what Charles had done. They disinherited him and said, okay, fine, Charles, uh, Henry, your child will have the French crown. So Charles, uh, Henry V married Charles's sister and their child would be the King of France, which was Charles, the, uh, which was Henry mm-hmm. VI. But because Henry VI was a child when Henry V died, they, uh, they, couldn't, they didn't really want to put the crown on the child in France in particular uh, and then this is where Charles of Valois saw an opportunity and thought, well, no, it's rightfully mine. I'll take it. I'm an adult now. I can sort of do that. I'm going to beat Henry VI. He's a kid. Um, but Joan doesn't mm. know that. Do you know what I mean? Joan ain't got a clue. Yeah. As far as she's concerned, he's just the next king. Um, so Joan, I imagine if Joan knew, she probably wouldn't be supporting Charles because he's a murderous king. He's committed murder. And obviously that's, that is mm-hmm. a sin for the Catholic religion. Yeah. So I find that interesting. So Joan is moved from prison to prison for over a year and attempts to escape several times. But when Joan overhears plans for her to be sold to the English, she attempts to jump 70 feet from the tower she's being kept in. That's high. That's a long way. And James, I will give you a tenner if you can tell me what happens next. I'm sorry, with her? Yeah. Well, I'm assuming she doesn't jump out the tower. She does. Does that mean I get a tenner? No. <laughs> no. Um, she she well, jumps what? and breaks her legs. Uh, yeah, pretty much. So she survived, yeah. She landed badly and could only lay there injured uh, while her captors presumably laughed whilst they scooped mm. her up and put her back in a cell. Uh, Joan was actually sold to the English by the Burgundians for 10,000 livres. And she was to be put on trial by the English for heresy. Now, the English didn't just want France's golden girl captured. What they wanted to do was destroy her image. If they was to just kill her, she would become a martyr. What they need to do is prove that she's a false idol, basically. Um, so the, uh, they didn't like. 
They claim that she was possessed by the devil and that to support a new king, Charles VII, who's recently been crowned, to support him would be to support Satan because Satan was working with him to give him the crown. You see, it's all theological idea, the theological arguments now as well. Mm. It's like a, it's now becoming a holy war. Yeah. So Joan would be held in a cell tied up by chains, still wearing men's clothes, which was to be used against her as in the book of Deuteronomy, Christ, that's a difficult word. In the book of Deuteronomy 22 verse 5, it states that, quote, a woman must not wear men's clothing and a man must not wear women's clothes for whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord your God. I will also point out this verse is still in the Bible. All right. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I guess you can just pick and choose the bits you want, right? Yeah, that's the case with most of the Bible, to be fair. Mm. So, that will come back to haunt her, right? So, the English Inquisition of Joan of Arc is actually quite a philosophically interesting piece of history. It was led by a man called Bishop Pierre Couchon. Joan was open and honest about everything except for her visions. She would just point blank refuse to talk about them. And the bishop tried to dig up some dirt on Joan from her hometown of Domremy, but got absolutely nothing. He even Mm. got a group of English noblewomen to confirm that Joan was indeed a virgin, which she was. So, what more can you go for, really? The court asked about her past. They asked about her beliefs and every step of her God-given mission, to which she answered everything truthfully. She never hid anything. And then the bishop asked her about her visions, and again, she just point-blank shut off. She won't do it. She's not going to talk about her visions, because as as what she said, those those conversations are between me and God, not between me and you. So you cannot ask me about that, all right? Um, The bishop asked her a question. He asked her if she expected to go to heaven when she died. And now this is a trap right um if she says no i don't expect to go to heaven then she'd be admitting that what she has done is a sin right Mm. if she says yes i do expect to go to heaven she would then be going against church doctrine the church at that point said that humans could not know if they would be going to heaven or not they just had to live as pious a life as possible and hope that they would go to heaven afterwards that was the whole point right and um, so they laid a trap. She fully dodged it. She was like, nope. And yes, I'm not saying either. Right. Either answer to her would be deemed as heresy and she'd be found guilty on the spot. But what she said actually stunned the court. They were not expecting this from a fucking like 18 year old girl. She said, quote, if I am not in his grace, may God put me there. If I am, may God keep me. I should be the saddest creature in the world if I knew I were not in his grace. Which is the best, like, dodging a bullet, swerving the answers, like, politician answer ever. Mm, Yeah. She's damn good at that. So, when questioning about the saints, Joan claimed to be conversing with, they asked if she could describe what they looked like. And again, this is a trap. In the Old Testament, angels take no form, and when saints ascend to heaven, they become pure spirit, losing all body. So, you wouldn't be able to describe them as in what they look like, but Joan never said she saw them, she said that she heard them, and that she knew who they were based on their voices. So, that that was another way of dodging that. 
She was very good at getting out questions. Oh, she's she's actually very good. She's very savvy and quick-witted. The bishop threatened torture, but she didn't flinch. Instead, he drew up 12 charges and demanded that she answer them all the next day. He had her standing on the gallows, like a, a makeshift gallows, to almost threaten her that she will be killed here and now, uh, and then read every single charge to her. And to everyone's surprise, Joan admitted to them all. Not entirely sure as to why, but she just uh, she changed her mind and admitted to everything. I think she knew that her back was against the wall. Yeah, uh, I think this goes with how I've sort of... Uh, maybe I'm fairly pulled her down a peg or two and I've said that she's just a teenager who is riding this wave and I think Mm. she's now at the end of that line and she knows it yeah maybe she thought that if she admitted it she'd get off a little bit easier but I think she knows that she's going to die regardless well you'd be right James if she admitted it she could survive that was the whole point right that's what they wanted Mm. to do they wanted her to admit it then they would let her go and she would then be living in disgrace it would make more sense yeah. for their English to have uh, a sinner admit to their sin, re- reconvert themselves into like the, the faith and try and live a more pious life. That would make more sense to them because then th- for the rest of her life and for the English, this is a massive propaganda victory. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joan confessed to everything. And as I say, this was welcome news to the English. They'd discredited Joan. They'd done what they set out to do. She would live in captivity they shaved her head and they put her in a dress but two days later it seems that joan changed her mind when the bishop came to see her she was once again in men's clothing and sticking to her original story why well there is a theory that her guards stripped her naked and took her dress away leaving her nothing but the male clothes and arguably fearful of what else could happen to her should she stay naked she chose to wear the clothes, which seems very, mm. very unfair. Um, of course, like she wants to stay a virgin for her religious reasons and whatnot, and I think she's just so aware, like, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm in danger here. So she's like, do you know what? Yeah. I'd rather put the clothes on. I'd rather do it. Um, now by May thirtieth, fourteen thirty one. Um, because she was wearing men's clothing and because the passage of Deuteronomy says that it is a sin, Joan was tied to a pillar in the local marketplace while the charges of heresy were read out. A guard had given her a small makeshift cross and placed it in her belt. Another English soldier held a cross high in the crowd so she could see it as the fires were lit and the, and the flames crept up her body. Uh, victims are often killed by the executioner before the flames get too bad whilst they're burned at the stake. But this mercy was not given to Joan. She was burned alive, and her remains were set aflame again to make sure nothing was left of her. Her ashes were spread into a river. She was just 19 years old. It's literally the definition of overkill. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. They were like, we'll not have... Because as well... Uh, uh, relics, saintly relics were a thing then like uh, the bones of saints uh, mm. would be like immortalised put into like golden chests and carried around and what they didn't want is for her to become a martyr, become a saint uh, and carried around and things like that so she'd get rid of all evidence yeah. of her so um, yeah mm. 19 years old man, she's dead dead 
And they didn't really get what they wanted, did they? Because Joan of Arc is still celebrated today. 100%. But also, where was this new king that she'd crowned, right? Uh, arguably, without her, she wouldn't be king. So where's the support? Mm. So he actually made a public demand to the English to release her. But that was it. It was literally all for show. He literally was like, you give her back or I'll I'll do something. And then the English were Well, like, he's probably well aware that the English could turn around and be like, wait, what? We'll fucking take back everything you took then. He probably wanted to avoid confrontation. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. And that, and he just probably doesn't like her. He really ain't that interested. Like, I don't think, mm. I don't think necessarily maybe it looks good for a king to have a peasant girl be the thing that gave you your crown, you know? Yeah, and like telling you what to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, he, it turns out he just wasn't really bothered. Uh, plus, plus Charles the Seventh, Charles of Valois, he's got a new golden child in the form of a shepherd boy who appears to show the signs of stigmata. That's cool. Ooh. Yeah, he's like got marks on his hands where the holes were on Jesus's hands. How cool is that? Mm. He's got a new That's little cool thing. Marks. Yeah. Oh, it turns out the English would kill him as well in time. They'd not have. They're not. Oh right. Yeah, okay. They're not having none of this shit. <laughs> Typical English, isn't it? Oh, that's nice. You've got a nice thing there. It'd be a shame if we kill it. <laughs> yeah. That's literally yeah. every co- most countries in the world. We've just turned up and be like, "Oh, this is really cool. We love what you do. Mm, we're gonna take it now." Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love. I love these opium fields you've got. It'd be a shame if we made China obsessed with it. <laughs> Oh, wow. Just turn up to India as well. Oh, the, we really love your country. We're going to settle here. Do you fancy working for us? Yeah. Nice oil fields. Be a shame if someone took it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then you get the Americans who uh who fought back and dumped our tea in the in the in the sea, and that's the last fucking straw. Mate, that was that was as soon as, as soon as it... you don't dump the tea in the sea. Oh, do you know what? I bet that river tasted so good though. Oh, for sure. <laughs> English people just sticking the straws in and. <laughs> Yeah, slurping it up. <laughs> the last, the last sort of royalists. That's how they spotted it. That's, I bet that's how they got them out. Actually, it was trying to root out the last, the last royalists hanging around Boston. They're like, "What we're gonna do? We're gonna just make, mm. we're gonna make one massive cup of tea, and whoever dives in it will know <laughs> who's English." <laughs> <laughs> it is true. English love the tea. Yeah. Even though I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you, um, listeners from around the world. I'm English and I don't drink like normal breakfast tea the tea that you associate with us I'm, I'm afraid I don't touch it are you a green tea person uh yeah herbal teas and fruit teas and stuff that's my that's what I do it's because I can't do caffeine to be fair it's not that I don't enjoy the taste of tea I love the taste of tea but I just caffeine kills me oh interesting I love a cup of tea I do <clears throat> although I don't mm, yeah, I, I used to have them in a lot when I was younger big fan yeah I, I, I as far as I'm aware um for American listeners, you guys don't use kettles, right? I've seen so many people. Right, this make fucking tea. bothers me. Yeah, you're making tea with a microwave. What are you doing? If you need to boil water, you have to go on like the hob or stove, whatever you call it, and the microwave. Like, what the fuck? Obviously, you can buy kettles, but in an English house, a kettle is as standard as like a sink. Oh yeah, you have a kettle. You have to have a kettle. Even but university it, students then, are given kettles. Then um, I believe that American power outlets are like less powerful than ours. Okay. So if you want to boil a kettle in America, it takes a lot longer than oh. it does here because they've like reduced the amount of power that plugs can give out. Interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's probably safer as well, but ours are kind of just 
don't know. If you get electrocuted, you get electrocuted. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I, I don't think that should be used as an excuse. I don't care. America, learn to make tea properly. Oh, yeah. If I if I ever move to America for whatever reason, I'm buying a kettle. You need a kettle. Yeah. I don't. If I want boiling water, not just for tea, sometimes you need boiling water. Like, whenever I'm making pasta, I like to put on boiling water. Oh, yeah. Like, first. It speeds up the whole thing. It just saves time. I'm not going to sit there and boil cold water on the... Well, to be fair, I suppose it's the same. I don't know. But you know what I mean. I'm getting a kettle. <laughs> We're gonna buy, buy a kettle, basically. Uh, uh, yeah, Bernie Sanders is going to give yeah. you $15 an hour. You can buy a kettle for $30. Yeah. That's just kettles are just... Or, fail, to be fair, if you could get one of those taps that give you boiling water, oh, get that. Cool. That is my dream. They're very cool. What, what a world we live mm. in. Yeah. Well, Joan of Arc or uh, Jeanne d'Arc, uh, or the Maid of Orléans is now venerated mm. as a saint and is a patron saint of France today. She's seen as a feminine icon to women all around the world today. She was venerated in, I think, 1920 in France. So, like, a long, long-ass time after her death, she was made a saint. I mean, she was fucking cool. Yeah, man. Yeah. She took no shit and just took what she wanted. I respect it a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I um, I think I mentioned this last week as well. But like, I work in a castle, like a medieval castle. It, it it's cool. It's probably the, I don't know, probably the, I don't know what the word is. I don't know whether it's the best castle in the UK, but it's like it's intact, like fully intact, and you can go inside all, right, all the rooms yeah. and stuff. And my brother's gonna crucify me if I get this wrong, but someone from the castle I worked in was involved in the Joan of Arc execution. Whether it was the Ooh. person that read her her last rites or like came and sat with her I don't know but someone from Warwick Castle was sent to deal with that and my brother loves it that he's kind of loosely associated with that that is cool I like that yeah it's a cool castle I like I've, I take it for granted a lot that I get to well not the minute because coronavirus but like I get to walk into work every day and just be surrounded by a medieval castle and beautiful gardens mm. Yeah. usually I'm half asleep and I just really don't appreciate it very much but it is, it's stunning absolutely stunning yeah it's just what you used to well well done, Joan of Arc. Uh, you had a vision. You went with it. You took what you wanted. Uh, you paid the price for it. Uh, but I yeah, think no. it's the perfect story of if you do anything with confidence, people will follow you. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. King of bullshit. Mm. You know? You keep going, keep talking, your mouth will come out with something. Um, one thing I did kind of want to just maybe take a couple of minutes to talk about uh, are her mm-hmm. visions um, right? I wanted to get, maybe get your opinion on them. Did she actually have the visions? Uh, because there is a theory that I don't know. Maybe she had some form of schizophrenia, or she was uh, had some sort of mental um, uh, illness of sorts, and that's what she was. And obviously, living in a very hyper religious country uh, with uber beliefs around. Um, why wouldn't your inner monologue conjure up saints and whatnot? Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, maybe I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. There's, I suppose there's every reason to believe that she didn't. Um, we all have crazy dreams from time to time, especially if something's on your subconscious. I don't know. I don't know whether I believe in visions and I don't know whether I, like, because I've never had one. Mm. I'd like... 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she did. It's the same. It's the same as the Virgin Mary, isn't it? Like, did did this actually happen? Yeah. Who are we to like? I don't want to like bash people's religion, but who are we to say definitely yes and definitely no? I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. Well, uh, for, I don't know. Maybe for me, in terms of in terms of Joan of Arc, um, regardless of whether she had them or not, to her, they were real. Uh, and through oh, that, yeah, for sure. Through that, she was able to achieve something of note mm. in history. Yeah, she used them as a catalyst for yeah to go and on obviously and do great things. Now, like six hundred years later, she's she's remembered because of it. Mm, yeah. Well, she did cool stuff. Visions or no visions, she she accomplished a hell of a lot in a time where France was kind of on its knees. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. In in a in a male-dominated world, um, where women were seen as property and nothing else, she managed to break free of that, control an army led by men, uh, an army of men, and fought another one. And just yeah, I think that's quite inspirational for some girls out there. So yeah, do you know what? You can do it. If if Joan of Arc could do it in 15th mm. century France in a male-dominated society where she couldn't even read or write, you can fucking do it with Google. Mm, absolutely. I remember watching the Joan of Arc film with a uh, oh, what's her name? Oh, she was in Resident Evil. Of, like, Mia, what's her face? Yeah, married to Mila Jovovich. Director M- Mila Jovovich or something. Yeah. Um, and I was watching it with my brother, and I sat down with him just at the start. This was years ago, and I was like, "Oh, this looks good. How long is it?" I was like, "Oh, it's not long. Like an hour and a half." I think like three and a half hours later, I was still sitting there. Oh yeah. It's a bloody long film. Mm. It's a good film, I think, from what I remember. But Christ, you got to commit to it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose because it's it's not actually a very easy story to tell. There's a lot of ins and outs. Like you kind of have to understand some of the history and context of the world that she lives in as well to sort of oh yeah for sure understand her story. So um, yeah, it's something that needs to be spoke about. But yeah, there's a story of Joan of Arc for you all. Very nice. Good. All right. Well, um, next week. I love that we can do this. Next week, next episode. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be oh James now we've we've fudged up here because I don't know what the bloody thing's called Christ <laughs> uh, keep talking and I'll research it okay so Netflix uh, on the uh, well in the next couple of days particularly in the UK um, they will be um, releasing a documentary about the Cecil Hotel in America uh, about crime the s- scene the vanishing at cecil hotel there you go that documentary will be out within the next week crime scene the vanishing of the cecil hotel um and they will be talking about the vanishing of uh, a girl rather famous now for the cctv footage the last thing we see of her was in an elevator eliza alarm sorry i want to say i've got it here is it eliza alarm or elisa yes, lamb elisa i would have eliza said Lam. elisa lamb uh, a Canadian tourist, Elisa Lam, uh, she goes vanishing from that hotel and she's found, I believe, in the next day or two in the water tanks on top of the a roof month later. of the uh, Hotel Cecil, a Cecil Hotel in America. Yeah. Now that documentary is coming and out real soon. And there's lots of like, there's lots of like satanic things about the hotel as well. So people think she was possessed and she just kind of vanished off CCTV and loads of serial killers stayed at the hotel. Yeah. So it's bloody juicy. It's going to be juicy. It's going to be juicy. So yeah, we'll uh, do a podcast so you can watch it and listen to the podcast and just get well involved. Yeah, man. We're going to binge that within a day or two and then we're going to record an episode and talk about it and get our thoughts and opinions on the story itself. So yeah, make Absolutely. sure 
if it's already out in the US and other countries in the U- uh, around the world, like make sure you've watched it so you're clued up with what we're going to talk about. Uh, I love that people can like, you know, they go, oh, that's what they're going to talk about. I'm going to watch it too and maybe get their opinion on it. Um, mm. wh- I always find our Netflix episodes do very well. Yeah, yeah. You guys seem to really enjoy when we watch documentaries and films and then talk about it. So that's what we're going to do for next episode. Uh, we're going to watch that, binge it, talk about it, get that episode out to you guys and get our thoughts and feelings. So, yes, look forward to that next week. Um, follow us on the social media if you fancy that, where we post images of the people we've been talking about. So if you'd like to see uh, what Joan of Arc potentially looked like or, you know, previous episodes, uh, get on that. Um, also, if you'd like to donate to the show... Um, just like a pound or two or whatever you can afford that really helps and goes a long way you can find us uh, find on our link tree there's a link to it there it'll just say donate here uh, and you can do that it's not a subscription we're not asking for monthly way like money or anything like that mm-hmm. we don't want your money uh, just if you fancy donating to the show that's helpful uh, and that's everything um, thank you very much for listening join us next week and we'll talk to you then ta bye bye <laughs>